Hi, I'm Jason, and you're listening to The Slippery Slope. So today, 22nd of November, 2021, there's one article in particular I want to go through, and very interesting, it's from Crikey, crikey crikey.com.au. It just comes up on MSN. The title here is How to Deal with the Unvaccinated. And then it says there are four options. I read through this article because um, it's very interesting. Very interesting. I think uh, they actually answer some questions very well. Surprising because I don't generally agree with a lot of what Crikey says, but it is always good to get different opinions, I think. Anyway, I'll run through this. It's by articles by Adam Schwab. It goes on to say, much of the world continues to grapple with the COVID vaccine dilemma with data showing that vaccines significantly reduce the case fatality rate of COVID to around 0.3%, and at the same time, vaccines also proving far less effective at stopping transmission of the the virus, courtesy of the Delta variant. Dare I say it, some sort of argument on both sides. And that that is the issue. All these people that... um, mock people they call anti-vaxxers there are definitely arguments on both sides and we just need to listen to each other anyway going on with this it says all this is happening against the backdrop of a northern hemisphere winter which will inevitably lead to a significant jump in the transmission of respiratory viruses and covid remains the only game in town because remember as our health minister said no one dies from uh, the flu anymore. It's just too common. Goes on to say, governments essentially have four choices. One, impose soft restrictions, such as travel, on those who are unvaccinated. So this is the UK and until recently European approach. Second option, fully mandate vaccines like Austria or quasi-mandate them by removing most freedoms like in Victoria or France. Third option, impose some sort of financial penalty on the unvaccinated. So this approach has been taken up in Singapore and suggested by health economist Luke Slomersky. Uh, And the fourth option is do nothing other than providing free vaccinations and educating people as to their benefits, as seen in the Eastern and Southern European countries like Croatia. So going on, so let's focus on the two more controversial approaches, mandates and financial penalties. So while enticing, both both methods have significant drawbacks, and that's to say the very least. So vaccine mandates aren't novel. In Australia, the no jab, no play mandate requires children in Australia to be vaccinated to attend childcare or kindergarten. Uh, The rationale for the mandate makes sense because children could potentially contract a lethal measles infection at preschool before they even had a chance to be vaccinated. The problem though, as Guardian Australian noted, was that the policy didn't seem to have a material impact with the Medical Journal of Australia's study finding that there was just no major change to that vaccine objector group with the no jab, no play policy. 
But on the positive side, a substantial number of people did catch up vaccination, which led to modest increases in overall vaccine coverage. Um, so, and goes on to talk about, you know, bearing in mind that kids are genuinely at risk of death from ne- measles or mumps, whereas the fatality rate of COVID for those who are not elderly or suffer significant comorbidity remains extremely small, extremely small. So the moves by Austria to forcibly vaccinate people or by Victoria, Australia, to essentially give people the choice between vaccination and unemployment are a far greater step. So it remains to be seen exactly how mandatory vaccination can occur without the serious threat of imprisonment. <laughs> and th- this is this has been one major argument from people who 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 they label as anti-vax people, and probably people who would take a probably more of a stand on what uh, would be more connected to where I stand on a religious point of view um, is where it's leading us to uh, the threat of imprisonment and and further down a path which is more related to a biblical um, biblical teaching. I've done it on a previous podcast, talked about it and also spoken about it, I believe, with uh, Pastor Tom Hughes on other podcasts. Um, continuing on with this, it says... Um, Moreover, it is likely to lead to significant civil unrest, which has obviously already been playing out to some degree. We've seen that with some protests and some unfortunately getting violent. Uh, There's also the problem that if 20% of a population refuses to take a vaccine, it's simply impossible to imprison that many people. And there's likely to be a full-blown revolution before that point. Uh, and that, that's right, it is impossible to, um, to imprison that many people. And this is why people have been asking, including myself, have been asking why governments have continued to go ahead building these, these quarantine camps when apparently we're also changing the rules as well that we don't need to quarantine when you come to Australia if you are vaccinated. And yet they're still going ahead with these camps. So that's another, another issue. Continuing on with the article, then there's the financial route which Singapore is adopting. This has its own set of issues. While Singapore, a well-run autocracy with very high levels of government trust, may get get away with charging COVID patients for their ICU stay. This is far more difficult for almost every Western nation. There's also the problem of governments picking which people need to pay for their own treatments. It would make little sense to charge someone for not being vaccinated against COVID. But however, as we all know, people in this country smoke. Okay. And and the chances of serious illness from COVID for, let's say, a healthy 30-year-old are less likely than than 0.01. That's 0.01% compared to 67% chance of smokers who die from a smoking related illness. The difference here is phenomenal. And yet they're, they're discussing whether, nations are discussing whether they can charge people um, who are unvaccinated. Um, yeah, which just does not seem fair at all. And, you know, especially when what we know about smoking, and yet we're, we're not, um, we've never forced people into that into that role of uh, paying for treatment for smoking. 
Um, it goes on to say in this article, the Medicare levy surcharge plan, while ostensibly softer than the Singapore method, has even more flaws. Those most at risk from serious COVID illnesses are the elderly. The exact same cohort who in almost all cases have zero taxable income courtesy of our gerrymandered tax system. A higher Medicare charge will do virtually nothing to reduce COVID-19 deaths or reduce ICU usage. That is because those who will bear most of the cost of the Medicare levy surcharge plan are unvaccinated people aged between 25 to 65 years of age. That is people who have a very small chance of hospitalization and a tiny chance of death. And this is another issue which the media seem to just not talk about anymore is the actual chance, the actual percentage of hospitalization with um, the age groups 25 to 65 of uh, 65 years of age, people who are healthy is, is extremely small. Going on with the article, while Australia doesn't provide this data, <laughs> Australia is notorious for not providing data, isn't it? It's just shocking. Or it's not just not just federal. All of our government ages do not like putting their information out there. It's funny that. Anyway, England fortunately does. So last week, only six people per 100,000. I hope you're all listening to that. This is in the UK last week. So only six people for every 100,000 aged between 25 and 64 were admitted to hospital with COVID in England. That's despite 35,000 daily reported infections. So for those over, for those aged over 85, and they're generally people who wouldn't be paying anything because they have no income, the rate is 41 per 100,000. So it's a big, there's a big difference, big difference. So bear in mind, it goes on to say, bear in mind that that's hospital admissions, not ICU admissions. Only 20% of hospitalized COVID patients need ICU. Okay, only 20%. I hate it when they jump to figures like they'll say 41 per, you know, every 100,000 you've got 41 people, but then they go into percentages, which make it sound like it's higher. But the percentage, if they're talked in actual figures, um, it'd probably only be, you know, one person. Anyway, so we'll go only 20% of hospitalized COVID patients need ICU. Plus, some of these people in hospital would be vaccinated. So they're called breakthrough cases anyway. So if we use the UK data as a guide, we're likely looking at, in the worst case, a few thousand ICU admissions a year in Victoria and New South Wales of non-vaccinated people who actually have had to pay the higher Medicare levy. A few thousand admitted in Victoria and New South Wales. That's all. That's what you're looking at. It's likely that the vaccine argument are soon to be proven moot in any point, in any event, sorry, with vaccines about to be gazumped by an even better... Who uses the word gazumped anymore? Anyway, gazumped by an even better life-saving technology, antiviral treatments. So three weeks ago, Pfizer announced that its Paxlovid drug 
was able was a, was able to reduce deaths in a clinical trial by 89% when taken three to five days after COVID symptoms began. So Merck had announced a week before that it's now I'm going to butcher the name of this drug, but it's molnupiravir. Molnupiravir. <laughs> Who made up this name? Molnupiravir drug was around 50% effective in trials, with India expected to give emergency approval within days. So these, they're not yet peer-reviewed results, are genuinely game-changing and will make COVID, listen to this statement here, will make COVID less deadly than the influenza, even among the unvaccinated. That's that just blows my mind. When I read that, I thought, wow. So when they bring in these antiviral drugs, and they will come, they will come, these antiviral drugs, and they will, they will come to Australia, no doubt. They will make COVID less deadly than the influenza, even amongst the unvaccinated. Phenomenal. The article ends with this. Forcing people to take a vaccination, which they don't understand, okay, is unlikely to improve vaccination rates and instead lead to civil unrest and further fracture communities. So let's, you know, um, it goes on to say, so let's continue to educate and encourage the unvaccinated on the benefits of vaccination. <laughs> this is what the article is saying. But this is the part I definitely agree with. But with the antiviral cavalry, cavalry coming, threatening imprisonment, or imposing a bizarre tax on the unvaccinated is as foolish as the slow vaccine rollout. Well, amen. I've got to say, this is probably one of the best articles I've read from Crikey regarding COVID-19. Um, and the information, okay, you look it up, I've, I've seen before, I hadn't want to talk too much about it yet, but obviously these antiviral uh, these antiviral medications are coming and they've had some phenomenal results with them and I believe you don't have the same issues as with vaccinations okay and yeah it, it's a way of treating it like a normal medicine that you would treat if you get it it's kind of like taking cough medicine when you get a cough you get a cough so you take some cough medicine look after yourself Let's face it, the way the draconian measures that, that governments have brought in are not workable. The longer they drag on, the more people get frustrated, the more protests we see. These four measures that different governments take or ended up talking about taking, these four choices. I'll be honest, other than number four, which is do nothing, other than providing free vaccinations and educating people, which is really just giving people choice. You give people choice, um, educate them on how personal hygiene, I think, and I don't think that's talked about enough, how much our personal hygiene and people upping the ante on personal hygiene, has that has really cut down, I believe, on, on people getting influenza normal flu has virtually gone out the door and what do you know when you wash your hands with soap and water you don't get sick who would have thunk it great article here got some great points i'm going to put the link up for you to read it yourself um, and let me know what you think as well 
should we be waiting around for these antiviral medications? What should we be doing here in Australia? This is all my opinion. I think we should be waiting around. I think we should be giving people free choices um, and waiting for the antiviral medication. And I don't think these mandates have a place in our society or in any free society. This is my opinion. Thank you for listening to The Slippery Slope.